Mean O'Lion Media presents the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Coach Kevin again, and welcome to a new episode of Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits. Uh, I just want to start off by thanking everybody. I've been getting a lot of feedback about the show, and I really appreciate it. Good, bad, or indifferent. I love to get feedback. I always want to be in a position to do better. I always want to be in a position where uh, to bring you topics that that you want to hear about that are important to you. And so I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome our, our guest this evening. His name is Doug Jenkins. Hey, thanks, Doug, for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Good, good, good. So if you can, Doug, can you start out by just telling us a little bit about yourself, about your education, about your family, uh, about your career, whatever it is you you want our listening uh, audience to know about Doug Jenkins. Okay, well, I'll start out. Uh, I am a proud military brat. Uh, my dad was in the Air Force for over 20 years. He served two tours in Vietnam, and that was about the time that I was conceived. So I was actually conceived in Riverside, California, but my dad was in Vietnam, so, or should I say he wasn't in Vietnam when I was conceived, but he was later shipped out to Vietnam. So my mother moved back to Charleston, South Carolina to be with my grandfather, who was always in the military, also in the military. So I was born in Charleston, but immediately from Charleston, we joined my father in Hickam Air Force Base, which is Honolulu. From Honolulu, we moved to Tucson, Arizona. From Tucson, Arizona, we moved to Portsmouth, New Hampshire. From Portsmouth, New Hampshire, we moved to Ipswich, England. And then from Ipswich, England, we moved to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And when they closed the Air Force Base, my dad had a choice of retirement or Minot, North Dakota. So I'm very glad that he chose retirement. As far as schooling goes, I graduated Sagasti High School. From there, I got a full scholarship to George Mason University to study architecture but I took my first structural physics class and uh, was put on academic probation. So I took my second structural physics class and had a very good conversation with the dean at that point in time and told him that my desire was to be the next Frank Lloyd Wright. Uh, but unfortunately at that point in time, architecture was not something that was departmentalized. So you had to know how to design houses, skyscrapers, roadways, and things of that nature. And so needless to say, I didn't do very well with my structural physics class. Uh, so I came back to South Carolina. My dad, being the type of person that he is, told me it would be one of two things. Either I would enroll in college again, or I would get out. So I enrolled at Coastal Carolina University, uh, took some education classes, really enjoyed it, graduated from there. And that's when I started working for the school system. My first job was teaching eighth grade social studies. I was a December graduate, so it was very interesting coming in and replacing somebody halfway through the school year. Needless to say, um, it was a very interesting experience, but I persevered. So from there, I was transferred to Browns Ferry Elementary as part of the desegregation. And I spent four years at uh, Browns Ferry Elementary School. Then I transferred to McDonald Elementary School. And from McDonald Elementary School, I entered into human resources through teacher evaluations and have worked my way up to the top to now be the executive director of human resources. That's awesome. And a very interesting path. Um, two things that I, and I've known you for a while. Two things that I did know about, I, I didn't realize that you were an army brat, didn't realize that. And so, you know, I say to people who, you know, uh, children, wives, siblings, you know, we, we always talk about service and we focus that attention on that serviceman or that, or, or that servicewoman or that police officer, or, you know. But people don't understand, and, and I can talk about it because I've served at, you know, in the United States Army. That when someone is serving, it's just like their family serving as well. You agree with that? Oh, yes, sir. Uh, yeah. It is a very interesting dynamic. For instance, everything 
has to be not so much perfect, but appearance wise, everything, there has to be a certain amount that has to go into it. For instance, uh, we had a gentleman that would come out every week to measure our grass. Our grass could not be more than two and a half inches tall. Uh, we had individuals that would make sure that our cars were parked a certain way. Uh, it was also a situation where you never got in trouble at school because if you did get in trouble at school, they never called your mother they would call your father, but in order to get in contact with your father, they had to talk to your father's supervisor. So hence, you did never wanted to air any dirty laundry. So it was a very sheltered life, uh, but also a very regimented life. Yeah, yeah. So where was your favorite station? You, you mentioned you were in several different places. Uh, where was your favorite station and why? Was it your favorite station? I would probably have to say it was Bentwaters, which was in Ipswich, England, primarily because the culture over there is very communal. So in other words, every individual town had a different identity. So even though you may only go 10 miles down the road, it was almost like you were going to a different country. Every city hmm. had their own open air market, grocery stores, pubs, um, things to see and do. And then you would turn around and like we would go from Ipswich, we would go to Great Yarmouth. And Great Yarmouth was a completely different city in, in aspect as well. Uh, different football teams or over there at soccer, or should say over here at soccer. It was just very community-based, very identifiable mm -hmm. and very welcoming. Uh, and it was interesting as well being from another country uh, they were always so fascinated and wanted to hear how things were similar and how things were different, even though the language was exactly the same. Cultural differences. Um, over there, there was a huge respect for elderly population. You respected mm -hmm. your elders. Um, over here, you, you know, family-wise you do, you always respect your family's elders, but not so much the community elders, people that you don't know. We're over there. I mean, it, it was just you gave up your seat if you were riding any public transportation together. You let them in front of you if you were in grocery store lines. It was just very family oriented over there. Wow. Wow. And I can relate. Uh, I never made it to England, but I spent uh, about three and a half years in Germany. And, uh, you know, I agree with the fact that the culture, uh, was more accepting, uh, honestly, especially as uh, me being an African-American man, you know, uh, I was really, I was embraced. I was welcomed. Uh, you could tell, especially with the younger people, you could tell some of the older folks didn't really uh, want the military there. I don't think it was directed at me as African-American, but just the, the military in, in general. Uh, but for the most part, it, uh, the culture was great. The food was great. The scenery, the countryside. I, I really had a good experience in Europe. It was good. Uh, Doug, I want to ask you something about you mentioned uh, initially how you were part of the desegregation at Browns Ferry Elementary School. And I didn't know that. Uh, and so can you can you talk about the challenges that you, you saw every day or how was it? Was it easy? Was it hard? Uh, tell, tell us about that experience. It was very eye opening. Um, it was 1994 and I was just blown away that there were still schools that were 100% of one race or another. You know, growing up in the military, it's a very blended environment. Of course, you're always going to have majority and minority no matter where you go and no matter what profession that you enter into. But I was just blown away that in the 90s, there was still a 100% African-American school. Uh, my idea of Georgetown was, you know, a quaint little port city. I had never been anywhere else besides just the downtown area. And driving out to Brown's Ferry, it was 
it was so different. It was very welcoming. I do not want to give any negative impression. What was interesting as well is that was back when computers were first starting to come on board. Uh, and so, you know, we were mailed our class roster and my cooperating teacher or my mentor teacher looked at me and basically she didn't know who I was either. Uh, and she was just like, you are going to be the salt in all this pepper. And I had no idea what she meant. I had no idea what she meant. And at that point in time, you had a, a classroom aide for every grade level. And so my classroom aide went and picked up my class and brought them in. Now, keep in mind, this was the first time I think fifth grade was at Browns Ferry as well. Fifth grade used to be at the Choppy Middle School. Uh, so we had three portables on the back. We called it the little houses on the prairie. And so she brought my kids in. And so as they all filed in, I'm like, they're all African-American. There is not a single other race represented in this classroom. And so I looked at her and she just smiled. And so I gave my kids a little sponge activity for them to do. And so then I just walked right next door to my cooperating teacher and opened the door, just like saying, aha, jokes on me, real funny, real funny. And opened up her door and she looked at me and she says, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. But nobody told me anything about this school. Um, and it was really interesting walking down the hallways and just looking in the doors and just realizing that now I understand what an, so another minority group may feel like if they're walking into a situation where they feel like they are the only one. I was also mm -hmm. very upset when I found out that every other fifth grade class got to go to Washington, D.C. on overnight trips, with the exception of Browns Ferry and Plannersville, because they were Title I schools. And if one went, they all had to go. And if one couldn't go, none could go. So mm -hmm. I was very thankful that I had a wonderful administrator that allowed us on Friday afternoons to pretty much for the last half hour of the day to close down shop. And we went door to door selling popcorn, Kool-Aid, deviled eggs, hot sausage and everything. And we were able at the end of the school year to actually raise enough money through the own funds of Browns Ferry and Browns Ferry community to take all of our fifth graders and not only all of our fifth graders, but all of the teachers and the chaperone to Washington DC at no charge. Wow. So wow. also, I mean, I don't know how far you want me to go there, but it was just an eye-opening experience to realize being a white male at a 100% African-American school and still feeling the discrimination that African-Americans feel. Like another teacher and I wanted to do an after-school program, and this may get me a little bit of trouble, but... Um, we wanted to do an after-school program for math and reading, and we were going to call it Project Mark, math and reading collaboration. But I was told that we couldn't do that because Browns Ferry didn't have an after-school program, which was one of the reasons that students were able to be bused and go to other schools because they offered after-school programs. And if we did that, they would no longer be able to do so. Now, keep in mind, you know, that's 30 years ago, but still it was just amazing that that was still the mindset that was still around. So let me ask you this. And in, until in, uh, your experience at Browns Ferry, did you really understand what discrimination meant? Of course, you know what it meant. Of course, you would see it in different, you know, aspects or pockets or incidents during the course of your life. But being there, uh, did it give you an up-close and personal type view? Did you feel a different way about it? To segue into another subject, it was reaffirming. Um, because growing up, I always knew I was different. Um, you, you know, I didn't know how I was different. I just always knew something was a little off. And, you, you know being an openly gay man, but growing up in the military, it's not something that is discussed at all. And I really thought I was the only one. 
you know, why am I feeling mm -hmm. this way? None of my friends feel this way. This is not something that's discussed in school. This is not something you see on TV. This is not something that is talked about. And as a matter of fact, it's something that at that point in time is when AIDS was coming out. So it was really super derogatory at that point in time to be associated to be gay. And then the only things that you did see were overly flamboyant, stereotypical mm -hmm. of what the world at that point in time thought gay people were like, which couldn't be anything different from what it really is. So it was, I don't know if that makes any sense. It was somewhat reaffirming to know that I wasn't the only one, y you know, that mm. even though being gay is not the same as being African-American, it still can be somewhat of a marginalized part of society and it just I, I felt like I found myself absolutely absolutely so you know um and you did beat me to the punch because I was gonna ask <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm glad you know you just you just took it and ran with it but being an openly gay man uh what challenges have you faced from family and friends you know just getting a little personal what you know what what challenges, you know, how, when you realized what the deal was, what happened from there? What was interesting was I did not know how to label myself um, mm -hmm. until, again, seeing some movies such as Mannequin, uh, where it was an overly flamboyant window designer, but realizing that, you know, oh, this person liked somebody of the same sex. So it was like, oh, that's me. I mean, all through high school, I had a girlfriend and we're still very good friends uh, to this day. And she, she knew about me, um, but I didn't really know about myself. But what was interesting in coming out, I was so afraid of what my father would say. My mother, you know, we, we were good. Uh, you know, she was one of those, I was kind of waiting for you to tell me, uh, and because I didn't realize either until I told her that homosexuality runs multi-generations in her side of the family. My dad, I was very, very nervous to tell. Um, and when I actually sat down to tell him it was because of a negative situation that had gone on in my life, he was more upset with the fact that he thought that I thought that he would disown me than me actually being gay. He's like, I've known you were gay since the first time. And here's, there's a little personal tidbit. Uh, when I took you out to buy your first lunchbox and instead of getting the Superman lunchbox, you wanted the bionic woman lunchbox. He said that right there was a telltale sign. And I was like, well, thank you, dad. Uh, I wish you would have told me sooner. I wouldn't have put myself through so much misery, but it was it was good to come out. Now, is coming out for everybody? No. And coming out is a very personal choice. And I do have some family members that think being gay is still a choice. Um, mm -hmm. And it is it is further from the truth. I don't know anybody who would want to choose to be a marginalized member of society especially in the 80s when people thought just standing next to a gay person, you could get AIDS. Um, yeah. It, it was a, a very dark time in the time that I came yeah. out. And I will say I lost a lot of friends, a lot of friends. Yeah. Um, I was always the jokey, happy-go-lucky, tell a joke, help people with their homework, type person. So nobody really picked on me. I didn't get picked on like um, has happened to so many other gay people. But once people found out, all communication just stopped. Um, and there is nothing mm -hmm. worse than you're walking into a room full of your college friends that you're taking classes with. And it's almost like Moses parting the sea. I mean, they would mm -hmm. just vroom. Um, but, you know, I had my few homestead holdouts, you know, who are, were still yeah. very good friends today. And I will say that is probably one of the benefits of being gay is that you do develop very lasting and very close and permanent friendships with a few close people. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, 
just talking about your experience, you have to be, I would, you know, you have to be a strong person mentally, you know what I'm saying? Cause I was going to ask you, how did, how did you make it from going from having friends and, and people that you talked to and communicated with to them turning their backs on you because you were different and, and you survived it and you're able to sit here and talk about it. Uh, it, it had to be hard. It, it was, it was very hard um, because the ones that just left you high and dry, you know, they, they really weren't friends to begin with, but some of the people that you considered friends still had those stereotypes. Like when I came out, you know, now I have, you know, girlfriends and friends of just girls that were friends. Let's go shopping together. Help me pick out this, help me pick out that. And it's like, I can't even pick out my own clothes. You know, I don't have a fashion sense in any way, shape or form. And then they thought, oh, you know, you're witty and you can tell all these jokes. And then, you know, you became their shoulder to cry on, their surrogate husband, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. And it's like, why has all this changed? You know, I'm still that yeah. same person six months ago, but now you view me in a totally different light. So you had to become very polite um, yeah. and just chalk it up, joke about it every now and then not become the change agent at that point in time mm -hmm. because you were just still trying to figure out who you are and what you were. You know, if I was in the same situation now, things would be much different. I mean, years of experience mm -hmm. thickens your skin and there are certain things that you will accept and you will not accept. But at that point in time, and I think that's the same for anybody that's going through that process, that coming out process, you're very fragile. Even though you can project strength, you can project defensiveness, you can project that it doesn't bother you, you are like a feather in the wind. Um, and anything that somebody says just cuts so deeply because you're not yet rooted in who you are. Mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's pretty interesting the way you, uh, you explained that just now. And Doug, as you were talking, it made me... You know, I know, you know, my background is law enforcement. And I remember one time where there was no such thing as critical incidents debriefing, meaning when something serious happened, we didn't get counseling or we didn't do follow up. So we weren't debriefed. And then along the way, people realized that, hey, we got to get these officers some help. You know, they're suffering from PTSD. They're suffering from, you know, trauma. My question is is today, would you recommend someone that's coming out to somehow get some type of counseling to help them cope with it? Each situation is going to be unique and different, but by and large, you are entering into a territory that you may not be that familiar with. There are people mm -hmm. who from a very, very young age, know who they are uh and there are people who find out i do not want to say trial and error in in a negative sense but you don't yet know and you're wanting so badly to fit in you're wanting so badly mm -hmm. to please your parents you're wanting so badly to please your family members and you you do things and you live up to other people's expectations now those are the people that i would say yes they need some help and they need some assistance as they're transitioning through this process because mm -hmm. there is a lot of guilt that i don't think people that aren't gay understand there's the guilt right. that parents want them to get married have a family and everything mm -hmm. else and of course all that is still very possible but at that point in time you know when you're coming out to your family members that you're taking away some of your parents dreams and mm -hmm. that can be very nerve-wracking so i would say that you know if you're a parent of a gay child and your child is starting to come out ask them if they want somebody else to talk to you you as a parent you know of course always you can always come to me you can't always come to them, especially when you know you're crushing their dreams um, because yeah. you can see that look on your face. I saw that look on my mother's face. Uh, you know, yeah. even though they're fine with it, when you had that initial conversation, 
it takes them a while to adjust as well. And they've got to process their own feelings. Um, And while they're processing their own feelings, they can't really be there in the 100% supportive way that I know a parent would want to be. So if there was any possibility for any psychological help during that time frame, I would be all for it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So were you in high school or college when you came out? College. Okay. And that was early nineties. Oh no, that was late eighties. Late eighties. Okay. But I knew I was gay probably from about 14, 14 onwards. Okay. Um, I always knew something was different, but that's when I was just kind of like, whoa, you know, and I think it's just when the hormones start to hit and people become attracted in members, either of the opposite sex or the same sex. Right. I do want to share something with you. Um, There was a time in my life when I was a kid, early 90s, uh, where I was homophobic. I was. Uh, And it was because... I was hurt and I was ignorant. Uh, I had someone uh, in my family that was very, uh, very close to me. Um, And I never knew uh, that they were gay. The person was gay. And I remember uh, they got sick and eventually passed away. And, you know, my dad, who you know, has always kept it real with his three sons. He sat me down, me and my older brother, and I remember him saying, listen, you know, this family member, great person, we all loved him, but I want you to know he was gay, you know, and and he passed away from complications uh, with a sickness, and Doug, I walked away from that. I was, I just felt crushed. You know, um, again, I, I never knew. And, I, and, I, and I'm thinking that maybe that was the biggest part for me. But I walked around thinking that, that and, and I'm, I'm a teenager. I'm walking around thinking for a time period that uh, every gay man was going to end up the same way. And, and, and because of that, I was homophobic and didn't want to be close to anybody, if that makes sense for you. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. You, you live and you learn and you get educated and you you adjust. You know what I'm saying? You're no longer ignorant. You understand uh, what it is. But but that was, a, that was a tough time for me. That was a really tough time. So moving along, without naming, you know, any organizations or companies, uh, we talked about personal challenge you may face. Have, has there been any professional challenges you face because you're a gay man? Several. Um, there are people that tell you because of your chosen profession, you need to keep your personal life very personal. Um, because you interact with students, because you interact with children, you need to be careful of who you are and what you say. Then when you want to get into a leadership role, it takes on a whole nother connotation because that's when you are supposed to keep a professional face while you're at work. And then your personal life can be your personal life as long as it doesn't interfere with your professional life. So I was told time and time again, keep your personal life out of the school. And I never really was inclusive of my personal life in my school. You know, I never went to school and said, hi, I'm a gay guy. Um, But it was also one of those, I never ever would have ever discussed it in front of any of my students. Um, But if teachers or coworkers were interested, I was good. But what, what, what I found unique, especially in the earlier days, was I wasn't invited to a lot of things. Um, you know, it wasn't, especially where something was a plus one or bring your wife, bring your husband, bring your this, bring your that. 
those invitations never seemed to come my way. But I was very lucky that I had a few administrators um, that were just you be you, you do you. Mm. Um, and those were African-American individuals. And I don't know if it was um, almost symbiotic in a way that I know the struggle that you're going through. Um, but again, I would never want to compare myself to any other group. But it was just reaffirming of you do you, you know, just like you wouldn't sit there and talk about what's going on in your straight marriage in front of your class. You wouldn't talk about what's going on in a gay marriage in front of your class. Did I ever right. take a picture of my husband and put it on my desk? No, um, because I didn't want to be that controversial person at that point in time. But I also knew that the majority of the parents of my students knew about me, um, you know, because you would get those questions such as, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for your birthday? Or then, hey, I've got somebody I want to fix you up with. And then you'd have to watch that delicate line of just, well, thanks, but no thanks. Um, but do it's kind of hard to separate the two because even though we don't name organizations, it is very obvious what I do, but do I feel like I lost out on opportunities because of who I am? The answer would be yes. Um, I, do I feel like I was ever passed over on things that should have come to me a lot sooner? The answer is yes. But with that being stated as well, do I feel like I was treated in a subservient or a way that was demeaning to me to where I had supervisors that would mock me or make fun of me or something of that nature, I would have to say I was lucky that I have not felt that. Um, but was I told that I needed to kind of separate the two on more than one occasion? Yes. I gotcha. I gotcha. And that's unfortunate. Um, you know, it makes me think about my childhood and, and going back to what I told you about, especially in the African-American community. Being gay was not talked about. You never I mean, it was, you know, and, and we all knew, you know, but it was never, ever talked about. Um, so, Doug, what what social issues are most important to you? Well, in sticking in the same um, genre, I would probably say it's it's upsetting to hear how being homosexual, being gay, being lesbian is turning into a political device. Um, mm. Most gay people don't want to be the center of attention. You, you know, you hear the things now talking about trans athletes and things of that nature most people don't want to be the the center of that. They just want to go to school. They just want to participate in sports. They just want to do things that are more authentic to how they view themselves. But unfortunately, it's been politicized like they're wanting to win. They're wanting to this. They're wanting to this. I can't speak for all trans people, but I can basically say they just want to compete. It's not about winning. It's not about losing. It's about feeling that you're able to be yourself. But unfortunately, yeah. we have a faction of our society that views that as um, unfair advantages. Yeah. And by all so, means, everybody's entitled to their view. But just like yes. I'm entitled to my view that I don't preach in front of everybody all the time, I don't see why some people get to preach their view and it become law. But not only that, I also would just love, I'm, I'm very big on animal rights. I'm very big on mm -hmm. elder care. I'm very big on taking care of our service people that have fought and bled for our country. Um, I'm yeah. very big on Habitat for Humanity because I think it is mm -hmm. a wonderful way to enter into home ownership where you are taking your own blood, sweat, and tears and money and building into a house that otherwise you may not be able to to get into. So there's a multitude of right. things uh, that I feel very passionate about. That's awesome. And I appreciate you sharing all that, too. Um, that's a lot. You know, as you were talking about, you know, people from the LGBTQ 
LGBTQ plus community, you were saying they just want to do this or they just want to do that. And you know what came to my mind? What came to my mind was everybody just wants to live a normal life. Is that, is that, is that safe? Uh, is that a good way to describe it? That is a wonderful way to describe it. Okay. Just so everybody wants to live a normal life, but where I think we get mixed up is we try to, as individuals, we try to decide what's normal for everybody. Does that make sense? It does. Trying to decide everybody. what is normal and your view of normal may not always be everybody else's view of normal. Boom. Like Boom. Um, I was yeah. talking with some colleagues the other day, you know, about some legislation that's in place, um, you know, that's trying to be pushed through about what you can talk in, in school and what you can't talk about in school. Mm -hmm. And I just thought about, you, you know, if, if I had a child and was in a second grade classroom and was sitting there and was very happy and saying, you know, my two dads took me to Disney World. It was a wonderful time. We did this and we did that. And then another mm -hmm. little kid sits there and says, two dads. And then the teacher's like, what do I do? Because if I address this now and talk about families can be different, are they now teaching a controversial subject that could cost them their job? And what's interesting is you'll find that Teaching a topic is much different than just talking about a topic, because if you mm -hmm. entered into just a brief conversation, you could quickly redirect and get things back on track to where you're not having to talk about something of that nature at that younger than age. Because I will tell you. So uh, I hate to interrupt you, Doug, but I, you got to give me an example on that, because as you was talking, you know, I'm thinking, OK. I'm, I'm walking down the road with you, you know, talking about something and teaching it something is two different things. You said that. And, and so if you're talking about something, I see real easy how you could slip down the slope of teaching. You see what I'm saying? I just, it, you, you could be talking good intentions, but next thing you know, you're halfway down the road and you're teaching. So Give me an example of what you mean and, and how you would pull that back. You want to be respectful of all people involved. So I would mm -hmm. never want to be disrespectful of a child that came from a, a non-traditional family, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. So I would say something like, you know, Doug, that is great. I'm glad you had such a wonderful time. And yes, families can be very different from families that you grow up with. But right now we're talking about everyday math. And so let's redirect and go back there. What I mean, the difference between talking about something and teaching something, when you're trying to insert something into the curriculum, you need to be very careful of what you're inserting because these are children and children can be open books. And that's why I do think that there needs to be a certain grade span where things are introduced and certain things aren't introduced, but there's nothing wrong with having a conversation about it because you don't want to have that child feel excluded. Um, right. That child is coming to school with their own set of family values, which may not always be exactly what the little kid on the next row over has the same type of family values, but that doesn't mean one is right and one is wrong. I hope that made sense. It does. So Doug, do you believe that the LGBTQ plus community is treated fairly overall by society? It's come a long way, but the answer is no. Um, okay. Y you know, when you just look at the headlines from the other day, you know, the, the club shootings, um, you know, I don't think people who are not, and I'm just going to use an overarching term, people who are not gay mm -hmm. don't realize sometimes when you're in a world that is predominantly straight, how comforting it can be to go to an establishment where you know you're not going to be judged, where you know mm -hmm. that you're going to be accepted, 
where you can be either, for lack of a better term, as straight-laced as you want it to be or as flamboyant as you want it to be. All are invited, all are included. Mm -hmm. And to have that fear of if I go to that establishment, I might get shot. Mm. That, I, I don't, it, it's just very disheartening. It's very disturbing. It's also when you see these children, and I do mean children, that are trying mm. to figure out who they are. Um, and everybody goes through stages. You, and and without trying to sound preachy, Gender is very fluid. Um, it, it's not you're 100% this way, you're 100% that way. There is some variation in the middle. But when you hear people get up and start criticizing and condemning people who are just trying to be themselves, um, you know, about three years ago, we had all this that was coming into the school system about you know, single gender bathrooms and transports. And now the latest thing is alternative lifestyles, reading children's books. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't hear anything of that if it was a straight woman coming in to read or if it was a straight mm -hmm. woman that wanted to do something with their children. Um, but lo and behold, if you have somebody who looks a little different that may be showing up at school that wants to have, you know, celebrate their child's birthday. Um, I mean, we haven't had any of those situations in this area that I'm aware of, but I'm just curious what that would look like if somebody did and what controversy right. it would stir up because it would be something that was different. Um, and yeah. different isn't always bad, but different a lot of times is fearful. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it fear is. is a great uniter. Love should be the great yeah. uniter. But unfortunately, in this day and time, it seems like fear unites more than love does. Isn't that crazy? Now, you 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 hit hard when you said that, uh, because I've seen during my career crisis or or the, the thought of uh, a big storm coming or floodwaters coming. And it causes the situation causes people to unite people that, you know, don't like each other. People, you know, was talking about each other last week, calling them, calling each other ugly names. The crisis pass. The storm goes over. And then people go right back to their respective corners. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I wish we had the solution, uh, to figure out how to keep people right here, you know, together. But you're right. Crisis, chaos, and 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 bad things, fear, unite people. Yes, sir. Craziest thing. The, Craziest thing. The only thing that I will say that I have truly enjoyed as I get a little bit older, believe it or mm -hmm. not, out of left field, is high school reunions. Um, okay. Because <laughs> seeing people as they get older, and a little bit more wiser um, that you didn't get along with so well in high school uh, that mm -hmm. now come back to you and sit there. I cannot, we, we had our 20, our 30th reunion not too long ago and how wow. many of them were like, I have a gay son now, or I have a lesbian daughter now, or I have this and wanting my insight. And I'm like, I didn't realize I was the Dr. Phil of the gay world, but I'll gladly <laughs> tell you, here's what I would say and do. Um, but it, it's just that to me is is somewhat heartwarming to see how somebody's views yeah. when there was so much fear and intrepidation when there just didn't need to be. Um, we're yeah. not out to convert anybody. We're not out to try to change anybody's. The only thing we're out to change is your view. Your change yeah. to be a little bit more inclusive, not saying invite everybody every gay person over for Thanksgiving dinner, uh, but maybe try to see what it's like through somebody else's lens. Um, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. not, not you know, the proverbial walk in their shoes at some po you know, point in time, right. but just to realize that if we were all the same, how boring life would be. Um, and a little, it would be boring. Being a little different yeah. is not a bad thing. Yeah. yeah. So you alluded to this earlier when, when you talked about your experience uh, 
during the desegregation of the school. Um, what other groups of people can you relate to that have been discriminated against? It's it's not, I, I never want to try to compare myself to any other group, but mm-hmm. I can have sympathy and feel similar feelings. Um, you know, like women, when they were trying to go through the suffrage movement, you know, okay. of, of how back in that day, women weren't even viewed as equal. You know, they were very mm-hmm. subservient. They didn't have the mental capacity to elect officials. Um, and just imagine if that's the way we thought now. Um, any minority sect that has had to fight for their place at the table, uh, that has been yeah. marginalized by good thinking people who had good mm-hmm. intentions but went about it in a very negative way because of stereotypes that they had that they were raised with. Um, yeah. So. I'm hoping I'm answering your question, but basically any minority group has their own struggles Mm -hmm. that they have had to go through, their own crosses they've had to bear. And you will find, or my experience has been the majority of us will try to do it with a smile. Um, Because when we let you know that you are getting to us is when you've won Mm -hmm. Um, I got you. So putting up that good fight, putting up that good front and just trying to change the world one person at a time. Mm, I like that. Uh, So, Doug, do you like baseball? Well, if you saw me in person, you know, I'm only five foot seven. So about the only sport (laughs) I played was soccer. But do I like baseball? Yeah, I like baseball. (laughs) All right. Well, cool. Good. Because... I'm going to throw you a curveball. I'm going to throw you a curveball. And I have one more question for you. And, 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 you know, it may be a heavy one, but I'm going to throw you a curveball. You ready for it? I think so. Okay, cool. So if you were appointed to the United Nations and you had an opportunity to speak on behalf of the LGBTQ plus community to the entire world, what would you say in three sentences or less? Three sentences or less. Yep. World stage, United Nations. What would you say? We are your fathers, your mothers, your sons, and your daughters. Mm. We treat you with love, kindness, and respect. And that is all we ask of you to be treated the same way. Wow. Wow. That's pretty heavy, Doug. That's pretty heavy. And I would say that you knew the fastball was coming and you knocked it out of the park. Well, I, think, I appreciate that response. Well, I didn't yeah, know where you were going with the sporting reference because I thought yeah. you were going to talk about. Yeah. RBIs yeah. and things of that nature. I was going to yeah. try my best, no, but no. miserably. No, no, I appreciate that. And, and and what you say can apply to so many marginalized groups. You know, people that have historically been shut down and shut out. Uh, what you said was pretty awesome. And if I could say right. just one more. Go ahead. People come out at different stages in life. And that's mm-hmm. what I meant about fathers and mothers. Um, right. One of the things that I think you will find with most gay people is a strong sense of family values. And mm-hmm. if you started a family, you want to keep that family together at all costs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even though you may not be living your authentic life, you are putting your family in front of yourself. And when somebody comes out later in life, I I just think that that value is so diminished by so many other people because you were this way your whole life and now you're something else. What's wrong with you? Instead of saying, 
Thank you for keeping that family together. Thank you for trying to raise that family with two parents instead of splitting it up. Thank you for being selfless. I don't think that that is shared with people that come out in their 40s and 50s. Right. Uh, Great point. Yeah. Well, Doug, I have thoroughly uh, enjoyed our time in our conversation. And I thank you for coming on and, 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 and talking to me. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you giving a voice um, mm-hmm. the things that you do, especially making people feel safe and comfortable to have these type of conversations. What I said, again, are my views. They may not represent everybody yeah. else's views, but they're my experiences. Right. And hopefully uh, somebody else will be able to relate to it. That's right. Would you come back and talk to me one day? Sure. Awesome. Awesome. I'd love to have you come back. But uh, thanks again. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your insight. And I thank everybody for listening to another episode of Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits, where we sit around and we unpack our bags and we talk about things that impact us all to somehow, to some way, find a way for us all to move forward together. All right. So until next time, peace. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Waits. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcasts. Find Kevin Waits on Facebook at Kevin Waits and join the Safe Conversations group. Follow the Mino Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mino Line Media. Get the Mino Line Media app in the App Store or Google Play. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast is a Mean Old Line Media production. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up! Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. Instacart for the win.